Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to today's episode of For Our Future. I am your host, Selena Gentry, Media Lab Technician for the COD Radio, TV, and Media Department. And with me, as always, is my co-host... Prema Walker with the Prema's Permaculture and Composting. I am a sustainability consultant and a hardcore composter. In our previous episode, we talked about all the dangers of plastic, what is plastic, how harmful it is, not just to our environment, but to us as well as humans and how bad the plastics can be for our health and the known effects of plastics on our health. But today we also have a very special guest with us, the College of the Desert's own Professor of Conservation of Natural Resources, Kurt Leuschner. And I just want to thank you so, so much for being here. I know before we started, Prema had asked you how many years you've been teaching. Do you want to maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a zoologist by training and education. My specialty is birds and insects. And I've been in the field of education for 28 years, 27 of those at College of the Desert. That's a long time. Wow. So we're talking with a real expert here. We have some questions for you, especially in regard to environmental changes. It's fantastic that your specialty is birds and insects. And so how about if we start with birds? What is the role of birds and why are they so important? Why should people care for the birds? Birds are definitely an indicator of a healthy environment. So having a wide variety of birds like we do here in the Coachella Valley is, is a good sign. It's a good thing. We still have a lot of habitat left for birds and for people to go look at them. That sounds like good news. So all right, I guess we, we've been doing something right here. I know when I go out to other crazier cities, when you see so much smog, you can hardly see the stars in the skies feel so <clears throat> smoggy and they take on like a pink color and that would definitely be bad if it's hard for people to breathe, it must be terrible also for animals. So has there been a decline in certain species of birds? And if so, why is that happening? Well, um, habitat loss is at the core of most species decline, but there's other factors as well. So it kind of depends on the bird, but there, there are some bird species in the Coachella Valley that are probably declining in the last couple of decades. You know, we live close to the Salton Sea here, and the Salton Sea is changing, and it's lost its fish population. So birds that depend on fish in particular are definitely declining in a big way. We're talking about pelicans and cormorants and maybe some grebes and other uh, fish-eating birds at the Salton Sea. So there's a decline there. And then those birds that are affected most by climate change um, are declining as well and and or moving up the slopes in some cases to get to cooler areas. How about bats? I know I always hear a lot on NPR and other radio programs problems with uh, white nose disease and other issues, hazards that I've been hearing about. We've got a variety of bats here in the Coachella Valley, probably 15 species or so, and they're all insect eaters. All of our bats are insectivores, which is a good thing because a single bat can eat thousands of mosquitoes in one night. Right. <laughs> I almost want to keep one. So if we're worried about, family of yeah, if we're worried about mosquito bites or West Nile virus or other things that could be transmitted by mosquitoes, then uh, we definitely want to have as many bats around as we can. White nose disease is not as prevalent in the southwest because of our dry habitat. Our bats, though, can be affected by pesticides that are sprayed on 
insects that the bats might ah, eat. I see. Uh, like they might be poison. affected by wind turbines. Even their echolocation can't always uh, prevent them from colliding with, with wind turbines at night. I never realized that that was a problem, to have objects in their way when they're trying to fly. So same question for insects. Why are insects important? Why should we care about insects? Well, there's a lot of reasons to care about insects. Of course, they're the base of the food chain, so so many other things eat insects and rely on insects for their food source, uh, and that carries on all the way up the food chain to us. Insecticides are a big problem when it comes to insect decline. Genetically modified foods are having a negative impact on some insects. Habitat loss, of course, in general. Yeah, insects are definitely declining, so many of them. So pesticides both affect birds and insects, or is it mainly just bats and insects? Pesticides affect everything. Everything that is involved in the food chain, including humans, you know, are eventually affected by pesticides. But their direct impact is first on insects and then secondly on birds that eat the insects. I see. So I know that's one of the reasons that I have been paying for organic fruits and vegetables because I eat a whole lot as a vegetarian. So what can we do to help protect them? Well, um, limit your use of pesticides for one or try not to use them at all if you can in your yards. There's definitely ways to limit the use of pesticides and then choose pesticides that are more um, friendly to the earth, organic or less harmful to the environment or to your pets. So, you know, read the labels carefully and choose accordingly. Is there any indicator if we are going to the store to buy those? Most of the ingredients are tongue twisters and I don't even know what they are. Yeah, I mean, I try not to buy any of them because I try not to use them, but educate yourself. You know, maybe go online first, do a little research, uh, see what people are saying. Definitely don't buy pesticides or insecticides that aren't approved, you know, by state and federal officials, the EPA. Read the labels too. What do you say about the cycle of prey and the predator? Because growing up, I learned about these stories in a mythological way, but it always occurred to me that there is a natural prey and a natural predator. That's what controls the cycle. But right now in the lawns, we spray so many things, so we don't see insects running around, so we don't see any birds coming around. So all I can think about is there is no natural prey and a natural predator coming for it. So we are breaking the cycle. Well, I do teach workshops on how to turn your yard into something more wildlife friendly, which is kind of what you're talking about. Um, A healthy wildlife friendly yard is going to have plants and animals at all different levels. It's going to focus mostly on native plants. So find out which plants are native to your area and start there. And if you plant native plants, you'll use less water and you'll attract the right kind of native wildlife, including insects and and birds and reptiles and mammals. And you'll have a nice healthy balance in your yard, limiting the use of pesticides or eliminating them, providing uh, the animals what they need in, in the form of native plants in particular. So it's okay if I see a lizard in my yard. If I, it's okay if I see a bat baby flying around or yeah, mice I've, running around. As, as we already talked about, you want to have bats, yeah. lots of bats roam in your yard at night, keep the insect population in check. It's healthy to see lizards because lizards also provide food for roadrunners and other bird species. You want to have habitat in your yard for owls because they'll patrol your yard and eat three or four or five rats a night. Wow. Uh, I never, I always thought cats were more effective, but (laughs) owls, you never think about that. So yeah, we need owls to want to be in our yard. So not pruning your trees too heavily or leaving them alone, uh, especially your native palm trees Mm -hmm. is another thing 
thing you can do to make your yard much more wildlife friendly. What is a native palm tree? Because Palm Springs, Palm Desert, Lakinda, like when driving, it's a blanket of palm trees. Yeah. Uh, but what is the native species we are talking about? Because everybody thinks palms are native here. So, yeah, if you drive around, you'll see all kinds of palms, but only one species is actually native to the wow. western United States, and that's the Washingtonia filifera, the California or the desert fan palm. So when you're shopping for palms, uh, that's the one to look for and to choose for your yards. It also retains its palm skirt more than the other palms do. So when the winds come, they tend not to blow off like they do with the other species. So you don't have to cut them. You can just leave them alone in most cases. And it'll provide a great habitat for, for those rat-eating owls, those insect-eating bats and a lot of other useful birds like American kestrels uh, that also are, are eating mice and other rodents and insects. I never knew that. And it's funny because I know in my backyard, I will see them sprout up out of nowhere, whatever it is that makes them. And they almost seem to be more like with the limited space that I have, it's like I have to get rid of the little sprouts, you know, because <laughs> they seem to be more in the way. But I had never realized how beneficial they are. Yeah, they can be. So from what we've been hearing on NPR, and watching in certain documentaries, we understand that certain plant species, hopefully not native palms, but I understand that certain species are going to become extinct due to climate change. For example, Joshua trees. Can you give us any further understanding about these predictions and why this is happening? Well, the climate is changing and overall uh, temperatures are increasing in most areas, including ours. And that has an effect on plants. Um, some are more sensitive than others. The Joshua tree is, is quite sensitive when it comes to changing temperature. And so, so as uh, Joshua Tree National Park, for example, gets warmer overall, there will be fewer Joshua trees uh, there able to survive. The population will exist, but it will exist in some of the higher desert areas where the temperatures are cooler, like the Mojave National Preserve. So we're starting to see that shift happening. We're starting to see the numbers of Joshua trees go down in these warmer areas. So wow. and do we see a population migration just like with birds? Are we seeing Joshua Tree used to be the perfect spot in Joshua Tree National Park, but if temperatures are rising here and Mojave Desert is getting the temperature that's ideal for Joshua's, in 100 years, if my grandkids are coming over to see Joshua Tree, are they going to see them in Mojave Preserve? Is there going to be migration of species like that? The migration of plants is different than the migration of birds, right? Birds can move immediately and respond immediately to any kind of change in their environment. Plants can't do that. Joshua trees can't do that. But over a long period of time, you, you could see a shift in the population of Joshua trees to higher elevation. So it's kind of like a, a long-term movement. So that's hope. There, well, there's hope, <laughs> but, you know, um, there has to be habitat in suitable areas with the mm -hmm. right temperatures in order for these plants to continue to exist. Then can we also expect this to happen to certain birds and insects? Yeah, so there's there's been some recent studies already on um, shifts in bird populations. Um, it's predicted that some species may move up slope, shift their ranges to higher elevations, again, where it's the right temperature for them because it's getting too hot in some of the low elevation areas. So some birds seem to be shifting their populations slowly up the slope. Others are not, and even a few are shifting down slopes, so it's not always easy to predict how these changes are going to occur. And so same thing goes for humans. If it starts to get too hot for us in one area, obviously we're going to have to move somewhere else where it's not affecting our health, correct? 
Well, that's that's up to individuals to decide, <laughs> you know, where they're comfortable. We probably shouldn't be living in the desert in the first place. You know, it's it's really not ideal, um, and we, we need lots of air conditioning in order to survive here. I know Primo was saying that that's probably the number one contributor is air conditioning yeah. because of the emissions. It starts with that, and then after that is traffic, right? Yeah, transportation. So the more apartment complexes and things like that that are being built, the worse it is for the greenhouse effect. So what do you feel is one or a few of the most important things that we can do right now as individuals that might have a positive impact on protecting the birds and the insects or you know helping with climate change and the environment? Should we be planting trees, going solar and buying electric cars? What, what, what do you think might actually help? Those are all good ideas. Going solar for sure, um, buying electric cars, yes. That's our future. Turning your yard into something more wildlife friendly, as I mentioned, um, focusing more on native plants to restore some of those natural balances, limiting your use of pesticides, as we talked about, um, educating yourself uh, on the issues that affect your area, wherever that may be, and then staying in touch with your representatives state and local and federal representatives. Ah, yes. I do that a lot. I see petitions in my email all the time, so it's good to be answering those and making sure that they're doing their job, right? Well, sure. Let them know uh, if they're doing a good job, and if there's something that could be done better than in a nice way, let them know that too, and to just get more involved mm-hmm. in the political end of things, um, because that's where a lot of these decisions are made, and vote, of course. Right. <laughs> Let's say I'm somebody who's in a position to want to try to help support in certain types of organizations. Would you say like Sierra Club? Who would you think would be organizations that you feel are really making a difference? Well, I don't want to just single out a couple because there's so many. There's so many good organizations, conservation organizations. So again, I would say maybe ask other people, ask your friends who they support, um, do a little bit of research online. But there's a lot of great groups out there. Um, we've got great organizations right here in the Coachella Valley, like the Friends of the Desert Mountains. That's a group you can start Locally, by supporting. Locally, I know, see. Especially if right. you live in, in mm-hmm. the Coachella Valley and, and in Palm Desert where they're based. Um, but then there's also national organizations like the Sierra Club and, and the National Audubon Society and um, Natural Resources Defense Council, et cetera, that you can look into uh, supporting. But if we want to see more positive change right here in our own local environment, we should start with who exists here locally. Yeah, start local and then work your way up. Find out who's uh, in your neighborhood that's doing, th- doing good things for conservation. Yeah, I think locally one of the organizations at city level is see if your city has a sustainability commission yeah. or sustainability department and go talk to them. I recently started working with uh, city sustainability commission. It's just a really group of people who are trying to do different things. So that will be a really good place because as a group, you're deciding something and presenting it to the city council who doesn't have all the infrastructure to do all the research and little things add up and at least making sure our community garden has more wood chips rather than bare ground. I think it's a big winning for us in Palm Springs. I'll just say start with your city, start with your yard and make changes happen. Do you think people should be, because bats, imagining that there are 15 species of bats in Coachella Valley's pretty new information to me. So if I want to encourage bat population in my backyard, should I put some like 
bat hotels or do something for them to encourage their populations obviously i'm i'm pretty sure everybody chops their trees when this is winter time for us they just chop down their trees do you conduct any workshops on pruning or making sure that trees are at a certain level to uh, support that habitat well do you want to talk about bats or you want to talk about trees uh, uh, sure. but <laughs> Two different episodes. Yeah, Sorry. So, no, no, but there is there's one bat called the yellow bat that actually uh, prefers to roost in palm okay. under palm fronds on the underside. It likes those native palms I mentioned before, Washingtonia filifera. So the um, owls and the bats will coexist together yes. and not harm a dove. That's yes. great. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the 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 owls don't have the energy to catch bats and. And so, yeah, they can coexist. But there is that one species that has an association in particular with the palm. So don't cut the palm trees. Just leave them alone. Buy the native plants and the native palms. Limit or eliminate those pesticides because the bats are eating nothing but insects. And plant native plants in your yard. Create a natural habitat that that they'll enjoy. As an individual person, uh, and if I want to support my family with food and share the bounty with the community, how much of my art should be for native and how much should be something I want to eat? Because obviously I came from a different country where my eating habits and my vegetables are completely different than here. So that's something I'm struggling with. It's like, okay, I want to eat what I used to back home, but at the same time, I'm, I want to support the native so I'm just always conflicting. How much should I focus on NATO and how much should I just go with what I want to eat and make sure I'm balancing it out? Well, that depends on the size of your yard and, and how much gardening or vegetable gardening you want to do. So it, it's just up to you. But, you know, cordon off your yard into different sections and you can have a native plant section and you can have a, another section where you're growing your fruits and vegetables. Everybody's different in terms of their needs there. There's nothing wrong with having... Uh, vegetables and fruit trees and things like that as that part, non- part of your yard. Yeah. I grow citrus out here. It grows very well. Nopali cactus. Not everyone has a taste for nopales, but that's that's one that I feel also, I mean, they, it's almost like they grow too well. And I've been trying pomegranates, but so far I think I need to use some of Prema's composting techniques to help me with the pomegranate. So when you were saying before about supporting local, that's that's definitely another organization. Desert Composting, right? Desertcomposting.org. Mm-hmm. Creating an edible yard uh, might be a whole other topic yeah. to talk about, but it's right. a good one. And native plants can be a part of that. Do you know of any that are native that are also edible? I don't want to start recommending certain okay. plants. Okay, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> uh, just in case. But there's some, some good books out there um, on medicinal uses of plants and, and edibility of plants. So I would want to consult those first and do some research before right. I recommend any of that. Makes perfect sense. But there are, there are, some, there are some native plants in our valley that, that are edible and medicinal in particular. One thing I want to ask about is like, uh, what are you doing for water conservation? Or how should we handle it? Because when I'm researching, yeah. uh, my grandparents used to walk like two miles yeah. one way to get water. So that's very precious resource for us. And I'm trying to convert my laundry system into a gray water system, which is completely legal in California. But it was really hard to find somebody to support that or plumbing companies doesn't know what it is. So it's a it's a little upset on my end thinking, we are in the desert. Why don't we have gray water system? Why don't we have, even though it doesn't rain, when it rains, it pours and it floods. So why don't we have 
rainwater not catchment system but at least gutters to each and every house and why the local governments are not supporting or encouraging those things well first of all i mean we don't here in the desert we don't really rely on rain for our mm-hmm. water like like in other places um so catching rainwater is not on anybody's mind because it never rains mm-hmm. except occasionally yeah <laughs> um and we get most of our water from underground. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think it's coming from the Colorado River or from rainfall, and it's not. It's coming from our, aquifer. our under, underground aquifer that's taken millions of years to slowly accumulate. Mm-hmm. But, and yet we're using it you know, as if there's no tomorrow. So that's, we're out of balance in terms of our water usage. What people can, there's a lot of things people can do to conserve water, save water. The, the best thing they can do... Uh, right off the bat is to just get rid of any turf grass that you have in your yard that you don't need. I know the city will even pay you to help you do that because that's what I've done with my front yard. And then I think the golf courses are recycling and some of the planters that you see like in the middle of the the roads have have little signs that say that the plants are being... mm -hmm. So they're they're doing a little bit. There's some. We need more of that, of course. Uh, One of the reasons I chose to live in Palm Desert years ago is because they they are committed to recycling every drop of water and reusing it for watering parks and lawns and things like that where they're needed, and, and Desert Willow Golf Course as well. Uh, when when you talked about when you said about like re- get removal get r- rid of the turf grass, what is a recommendation? Because when our city did it, most of the neighbors in my local neighborhood, they got rid of the grass and all they did is like put a bunch of uh, sheet of rocks. At some point, it will support the wildlife. But again, I'm thinking about. Well, it's not balanced because there is not enough plants and you are just doing DG or artificial grass. It's not serving any purpose that's intended to serve. So do you have any ideas or recommendations if somebody want to get rid of their grass? What I did with my yard is like I got rid of, I did not, I don't have much grass. So I pulled out whatever I can, laid out cardboard and I laid out a eight inch, six to eight inch thick layer of local mulch from the um, tree trimming company. So they just gave me their mulch and I just laid it on my yard and I submitted it for approval and I got that turf conversion money, then that's when I started planting fruit trees. So I, I see a little bit of gap in there. Cities are supporting to get rid of turf grass, but most people don't know what to do, and they're going to these companies for landscape designing, and all they're putting is like a bunch of rocks together that's creating more heat island effect. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, we need more companies who know how to um, convert yards to native landscape uh, and know how to maintain a good balance and a good look to a yard. I agree that just all rocks isn't what I would want, but at least it's using less water than that grass was, which you could also argue is pretty useless in most cases. So if you went around the cities and the towns um, of the Coachella Valley and did a survey, you'd see that a lot of the grass that still remains is not being used for anything really except for uh, dumping lots of water on it so that's the place to start and then in terms of what you're going to replace it with that's another topic that's mm-hmm. important too and that's where you want to go with the native plants and 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 hire somebody who knows what they're doing in that regard 
So maybe we need more more companies people to to, to learn how to to their escape yeah. uh, correctly and and in a nice way. I always for, worry for the day that we're gonna wake up one day and just be you know kicking ourselves for going we wasted it all we wasted it all on grass and it becomes so precious and we're fighting to you know keep it like you said you guys are walking all the way over a mile just to get one tub of how many gallons did you say you you would bring it's in liters one container is around like it holds like 40 liters so it's like a copper vessel that my grandfather has to carry on a long um, strip of bamboo stick that oh balanced as a weight. It's like mm-hmm. a weighing scale, and he has to walk Extremely fill it up, heavy. yeah, and get it back. So that's why it's like water is like, oh no, that's the one thing that we can't. If we are done for the day, we are done for the day. We don't have water till next day for anything else other than drinking because we keep drinking water on hand more. But for regular use, it's just very limited and you don't have it. And you said that much is for your entire family plus the animals. animals. Wow. That's why uh, when my grandmother used to wash vegetables and put it in a concrete tub, I'm like, why is she doing that? And the animals will come home and drink of it. Now it's making sense to me that she is reusing the water rather than just dumping it out on soil. She she washes her vegetables, rice, beans, and everything. All that water sits in a tub. Animals comes in the evening from farm after grazing, and they go straight to the tub because that's like a healthy smoothie for them with all the nutrients. Makes sense. Wow. Yeah, that's just that I I can't imagine, you know, that like it's so simple here. We turn the faucet on and like, boom, there it is, you know, just like that. It's it we take it. We take it for granted every single day. (laughs) I just want to thank Professor Leuschner for joining us again today, being our very extra special guest and all of his insight. And I think all of these things are going to be wonderful for us if we're really paying attention to everything that we just said here to put into practice for our future. This has been For Our Future. If you enjoyed what we just presented, please let us know by commenting on our social media links via codroadrunnerradio.com, where you can also find previous episodes of For Our Future by clicking on the podcast tab. Please also join us next week when we will be discussing water, water conservation, and water pollution with our special guest, Yasuko Smith, who is working on a special project at the Salton Sea.